Welcome to Baptism Sunday. If you missed us talking about it at the beginning, we are in a day of baptisms. We had some this morning. We've got some coming up tonight. We've got Claire and Catherine who are going to be baptized this evening. And we're not just doing baptisms today, but we are doing baptisms today because we are not able to do multiple baptisms in a day. So it's good news. We're celebrating that. We're celebrating baptisms today. And we're not celebrating the act in and of itself as much fun as it is to put some leggings on and get in a big bath in front of the whole church, we are celebrating what it means. Because what it means for the people that you're going to see come up tonight and stand on this stage and then get into the water, what it means for them is that they have looked at Jesus, his words, his claims, who he said he was, and they believe that it's true. And they believe that he's real. And they believe that he really is and was who he said he was. That he's the son of God, the one rescue plan for humanity. And in response to that, they've chosen to give their lives to him. That's what we are celebrating tonight. It's so worth celebrating. And I remember being younger and Christians would use that language and they'd say, you know, have you given your life to Jesus? Have you given your life to Jesus? And I think about giving my life to Jesus and I would find it a little bit hard to pin that down. It's a bit abstract or it seemed a little bit abstract at the time, but I find it helpful to think about it in earthly terms, in everyday terms. We see people or we might see people in our own life or in our own friendships or maybe on the news, we see people who've given their lives to a worthy cause and what that means for them. We've seen people give their lives to some ambitious goal or pursuit and what that means for them. It means that everything in their life has circled around this one thing. Everything else has bowed to that one thing, whether it's through their training or their diet or what it's meant for their relationships. We see what that looks like. We see it in smaller ways. We see people give their lives to other people in marriage or in parenthood or in adoption or as a carer, as a friend, we see what it looks like to give our lives to each other. And we've been thinking about Jesus a lot here over the last few weeks. And in Jesus, as we read through the story of the Bible, as we read through the Gospels, we see a man who historically walked the earth and said things about who he was. And he made big claims and he said that he was God, come down from all godly perfection and glory in heaven into the mess, into the brokenness, so that he could take on the mess and brokenness, die for it, so that we could be saved, so that we could know God like we're meant to know him. And the incredible, incredible good news is that we don't need to spend the rest of our lives paying him back for anything that he's done. We can't even begin to do that. But actually, we just, we love him back. We give our lives to him because we believe, okay, he's, he was the source of my life in the first place. And He's given me new life through Jesus, hope for my future, and he's so good that I can trust him with every detail of my life. And so the people tonight who are getting baptized, they've chosen to put Jesus in the middle of their life, in the center of their life, and live everything else around that, for everything else in their life to bow to that. We're celebrating lives given to Jesus, and baptism as a physical declaration of that for these people. If you've been here for a baptism before, maybe somewhere else, you've maybe heard someone say something like baptism is an outward sign of something that's already happened on the inside. And it is. But why do we do it? Why do Christians dunk people into water and then lift them back out again? 
I want to look at the Bible tonight just as we begin. Um, I'm going to the final recorded words of Jesus in the book of Matthew. If you want to follow along in your own Bible, you can, or the words will be on the screen for you as well. Chapter 28, verse 16 onwards, it says, The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Mic drop goes into heaven. Wonderful moment in history. Wow. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. We call this the Great Commission. We talk about the Great Commission that Jesus gives in this moment. A commission is an instruction, a command, or a role given to a person or a people group. I find that helpful to think of this as my great instruction, command, and role given to me by Jesus which is to look at who he is, the one who rules heaven and earth, our king, to look at who he is, all authority given to him. And in response to that, to then go and make disciples, baptizing them and then teaching them how to follow him. Those three things all hand in hand. We see in this picture, in this instruction, baptism is part of disciples making disciples. I don't want to oversimplify things, and yet I do want to keep it really simple today, because our starting point and our great why behind baptism is is just to look at Jesus. Jesus was baptized, and Jesus told his followers to baptize people in his name. We're called to be baptized people, baptizing people, disciples making disciples. In Romans chapter 6, Paul is writing to the believers there about sin and grace, about the brokenness in us, this inner propensity towards the things that don't please God's heart, things that are not like his nature. And then how when those things increase in our life, he's like, okay, the kindness of God, the grace of God just increases all the more when those things increase in our life. So does this mean that then we should just keep on sinning, keep on doing whatever we want, even if it's broken, even if it's whatever, because God's kindness will just increase? And he's like, no. But when he's writing this to the believers, I'm struck that he assumes they are baptized, that it's part of who they are. He writes in chapter six, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We'll come back to that, but Jesus said, go make disciples, baptize them, teach them. And as we look throughout church history up to now, we see that that's what the church has done throughout the ages. Since the very beginning in Acts chapter 2, if we look at that, the church is born. Pentecost has happened. The Holy Spirit, God's presence has come and now fills every believer. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches his first post-Pentecost sermon preaching that Jesus was the promised savior of the world. And it says, he says to the Jewish people here, therefore let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. 
the crowd, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Goes on to say, so those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. 3,000 baptisms. It would be like 30 times the number of people in this room giving their lives to Jesus at one time and then being baptized. We would need a bigger baptism tank. What a sermon he must have preached. So apart from wanting whatever anointing was on Peter in that moment, which actually, if you think about it, was just the Holy Spirit, our first simple takeaway here is that baptism is a first thing kind of thing. In the Bible, we see it time and time again as a first response to seeing who Jesus is, to believing in who Jesus is. Emma Morrison, she was singing back in vocals today, if you don't know who she was, for point of reference. She was talking at Alpha a few weeks ago about how when she is driving her car now, whether or not her children are in the car with her, if she sees a fire engine, she will shout, fire engine! Just announce it to the empty car because now it's so conditioned in her to announce the presence of a fire engine that it is her first response to seeing a fire engine. As believers in Jesus, our first response to someone giving their life to Jesus should be to want to baptize them. It's a first thing kind of thing. If you have given your life to Jesus and you've not been baptized, I'd encourage you today, be baptized as a first response kind of thing. But for all of us, There is something for all of us here because Jesus has said to us, go and baptize. The people in Acts chapter 2 hear the gospel. It says they're pierced to the heart. Maybe you remember that point in your life where suddenly things became real for you and you're like, actually, I believe this. It says they were pierced to the heart and they say, brothers, what should we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. And so they were. And we see in Acts chapter 2 that model play out with many, many people, thousands in fact. If we look to Acts chapter 8 here, we have one person's story. Now the context is that at this point in history, there's severe persecution of the church at the hands of Saul, who has not yet become Paul. And it says at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, Saul, however, was ravaging the church. Facing this, believers are scattered. They can't stay in one place. They're scattered throughout all Judea and Samaria. And in the midst of this, they are living out their great instruction, command, and role given to them by Jesus. It says that those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, a little side note is that I'm so challenged reading this at how these guys are facing the very worst imaginable circumstances. Stephen has just been killed. Their friend's just been killed for his faith in Jesus. They've seen him die. They're being persecuted. It says that men and women are being dragged into prison. That's Acts language, not my paraphrase. They must have been scared. Jesus is no longer like physically present with them, and this is happening to them, and yet they're suffering. The very worst of circumstances that they are facing become the vehicle on which they are proclaiming the gospel they're, they're preaching the word wherever they go. They're scattered, and that, that's how the church grew. That is what grew the church, was the persecution of the church and the scattering of the believers, and that was their vehicle. And that's surprising to me, and that still hits me, but for so many believers in our world, for the majority of, of Christian believers in our world, that probably is not surprising at all, because that's exactly the sort of vehicle that they're using as well, is their suffering, is their hardship, is whatever is going on in their lives. But I'm so comfortable that I forget that actually the call on my life is the call on my life in my worst 
moments, in my worst seasons, and it's the same in my best seasons, on my best days. Anyway, Philip is preaching the gospel to crowds initially, and the goodness of God's bursting through, and people are being healed, and people are being set free, and there's great joy. And then when we skip on a little bit, in Acts 8, 26 onwards, it says, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He'd come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah out loud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. He hears him reading. He explains the passage. He explains that it is pointing to Jesus. It says in verse 35, Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus. As they're traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Then they get out of the water and the spirit carries Philip away. No big deal. Don't want to miss that part. The guy who gets baptized goes on his way rejoicing. His question was simply, what would keep me from being baptized? There's water. What would keep me from being baptized? And the answer was, nothing kept him from being baptized. Also, none of his earthly qualifications qualified him to get baptized. Because if you believe, you may. It's that simple. That's our second thing tonight. If you believe, you may. There's no other qualifier. You don't need to wait a certain amount of time. You don't need to have everything figured out. You don't need to have read the Bible through a certain number of times. You don't need to have cleaned your own life up or stepped out of that thing that you're in that you know you shouldn't be in because actually you probably need God's help to do that. You need him to clean you up. If you believe, you may. If you believe and you haven't been baptized, maybe there's an invitation just to ask yourself the same question. What keeps me from being baptized? Because there's lots of things that might creep in. Maybe fears, fear of something so public, fear of what someone in your life might think, fear of being misunderstood or a lie. I've, I've too much mess. I'm too messed up. I've done too much. I don't understand enough. I don't have the answer to that thing or it's been too long. Whatever it is, it's maybe time to let those things rise to the surface and then look back to your belief. What do you believe about Jesus? Okay, I believe Jesus is the son of God. Then what matters most is what he did and what he said. And he told us to baptize people in his name. So the invitation is there. In summary, baptism is a first thing sort of thing. If you believe, you may. And then the final thing simply is that baptism is like a one moment outward sign of an everyday inner reality. Now, not to be weird, but when we open this up in a little while, it's not completely accidental that it looks a little bit grave-like because there's a, a symbolic thing happening here where we're saying in baptism, I see Jesus's death and resurrection. I believe that they accomplished everything the Bible says that it accomplished, and I want in on that. So actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be part of that. And you'll hear me say in a minute, uh, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ, plunge, raised to new life. And it's like into the grave, into Jesus' death, out into the new life that he offers, that he bought for us. In baptism, you're, you're saying publicly with your body, with every part of yourself, you're saying, I choose to die to myself 
that I might get in on that new life that Jesus offers me in his name. Back to Romans chapter 6, Paul writes, don't you know that each of us who were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In Galatians, Paul writes, I have died and it is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. Baptism is a lived out picture for us of us dying to ourselves, burying the old self, sins, our brokenness, our mess, everything that Jesus came to defeat in the grave with Jesus and then be raised to new life with him as well. It's a wonderful new beginning moment for us. We're baptized into Jesus and then every day he lives in us. Now maybe today you're like, yeah, I, I know this. I believe in Jesus. I like the baptism thing. I've known Jesus for a long time. I've been a Christian for years. I, I didn't do it as a first thing thing. I grew up in a different Christian tradition. It's a first thing thing. It's a first response. I've not done it. I've probably missed the boat on the baptism thing, and that's fine. Is there, is there any point now? And I just say, friend, I, I've been there. I got baptized last year. This wasn't the sort of tradition I grew up in either. And for a while, I'll be honest, I, I got really into my own head about it. And I found it a little bit confusing. And I thought, you know what, maybe it's, does it matter? Has it been too late? Like, I didn't, I didn't have the chance when I first gave my life to Jesus in a moment to do that. Or I, I didn't do the believer's baptism thing when I was younger. So have I missed it? But I found it helped to just make it really simple. And to look at Jesus and think, okay, Jesus was baptized. I see here that he tells us to baptize believers. And I see in the New Testament that it, it happens in different ways at different times. Even just a small example, Paul receives the Holy Spirit and then he's baptized. Quite often you see people baptized and then they receive the Holy Spirit. But as I read through the different stories of people being baptized, people giving their lives to Jesus, I just saw a common thread where you see that baptism is a right response to believing in Jesus. I was able to come to the conclusion that I hadn't done that as an act of my belief in Jesus. So I wanted to. I'd encourage you tonight, if you're in a similar place and you've maybe been a believer for years or if you're a new believer, don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. It's our response to an incredible gift. And it's never too late. I've got a wee picture here of my nanny who is in her 80s. And this is me baptizing her last year in September. She's old. <laughs> She's lived a long life already. She's known Jesus from when she was a lot younger. But she, at some point, there's a desire in her where she knew in her heart she really wanted to be baptized in response to the belief that she had. So it would have been lovely to get her here. It would have been lovely to baptize her in a nice baptism pool that's built for purpose. It would have been nice to you know, do it in front of a church or any of those things, but had a paddling pool in her back garden. She wanted to do it, so we wanted to do it in a first response kind of way to that desire in her heart. And I can tell you, I have, I have never seen her have so much joy. I've rarely seen so much joy as she had joy on that day when she was baptized. And that was not a perfect process or a perfect thing. It was clumsy, and there was not quite enough water. But it was great. It's never too late. It's never too late. Don't wait until you're old. If you believe... You may. Guys, we see so clearly there's evil in our world. 
And the story of the Bible, if this is maybe new to you and new kind of chat, the story of the Bible is that the evil in the world isn't some far off distant evil that we have no part in or doesn't affect us or that's just done to us, but actually that it's in us and, and we're part of that and it's part of us. And we can't get out of it by ourselves. We can't by our own will or desire or best attempts not be evil, not be corrupt. And the story of the Bible is that God looks at that evil and he was grieved by it. We heard that earlier. He's grieved by the evil in the world. And he can't be around it because he's good and he's perfect. But instead of like just wiping out that evil and therefore us, the story is that he came down and became like us so that he could take it on himself and kill it and defeat it and destroy it and take the punishment that was needed for it once and for all. So that actually it makes no sense. It's not logical. It's not fair. But we can look at Jesus and we can get in on what he did and what he accomplished. And we don't actually have to die for our, the evil that is in us. We get to take what he did as our own. And in baptism, we see that. We see people say, okay, Jesus died. Jesus rose again. I want in on that. And it's not just for the people that you see tonight. It's not just for me. It's not just for my nanny. It's for anyone. It's for anyone. No matter what you've done. No matter what goes on in your head. No matter how much hope or whatever you have for your future. It's for you. You can get in on that tonight. I have a simple challenge for us, which is predictable. And then I want to pray. And the challenge is just if you believe in Jesus and you haven't been baptized, Give me a wee email, talk to me, let me know. We'd love to talk to you more about baptism. We would love to be doing many, many baptisms in this church as we see people come to know Jesus. And also, if you believe already and you have not been baptized, we would love to help you with that.